Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. I'm Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. Want to thank you who listened to our first episode for coming back and giving us another shot. And uh, all you new people, thank you for checking us out. Yes, today we have a very special episode because it is our Halloween episode. Halloween is still over a week away, but... Since we only do this twice a week, this is the closest we're going to get. Twice a month. Right. Every other week. Right. Yeah, so at the point of recording this, this, uh, you know, certain things may have changed by the time you're listening to this, but it's current to us. Yeah. Um, we're going to have, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Halloween. Um, we're going to have a couple of Halloween-related movie reviews but not Halloween. And plus, we're going to have a bonus review. Three reviews instead of two. Yeah, we just really couldn't decide between the three, so we just went all... It's, it's a little Halloween bonus treat. Halloween spectacular. Thank you for not saying spooktacular, because <laughs> that is the most cliche, overdone Halloween thing Yep. Yeah. So, uh, me and Tony are both huge Halloween fans, if that's not blatantly obvious. Uh, one of our favorite things is dressing up in costume. Uh, this year, we're planning on being Gomez Adams and Fester Adams. And I think that's gonna go well. Yeah, it took us a good long while to finally decide on something. We must have gone through a dozen different ideas. Yeah, um... I, I don't know if it's going to go as well as RJ and Silent Bob. Probably not. <laughs> a few things ever will. Right. We got so many compliments on that. Um, I'll actually, I'll post a photo on the website so people know, people can see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Last year, I was Daryl Dixon. Year before that, I was Patrick Bateman. I got a lot of compliments on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, last year, I was... Uh, what was I last year? Doctor Who. Oh, I was Doctor Who. Yeah, I am a Doctor Who geek, for those of you who don't know. Um, and a year before that, I actually did a recycled costume of uh, Jason, one that I had used several years before, but kind of revamped it, made it look a little better. Um, you know, put a little more elbow grease into it. I thought it looked a lot better. You had your uh, your fiancé as your victim. Yes. Your Camp Crystal Lake victim. Yes, I uh, get, had her track down a uh, Camp Crystal Lake shirt, and I uh, put counselor and iron-on letters in the back, and uh, made her look good and dead. 
what other really good costumes have you seen? I know a, a couple years ago, I was at a coffee shop, and this guy came in dressed as Edward Sitterhands. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that the costume was that spectacular. Um, I mean, it was good. The guy clearly put a lot of effort into it. But it was just his mannerisms and his dedication to the character. He walked into the store, and he, he took the tiny little steps with his hands out in front of him. Good touch. And he, he walked up to the, the register, and he'd like... Picked up his coffee in between his hands and mm-hmm. then like, you know, stutter stepped out the door and <laughs> I, I really had to give him credit for his dedication. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that when you really commit to a character when you're in a Halloween costume, that's kind of like when you, when you push it over the top, I think it doesn't really matter how good your costume actually is. If you can sell the character. Then yeah. It just, it, even if someone doesn't know just looking at you, if you can get the mannerisms down, you can you can show people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I uh, I know we were at a Halloween party one year, and we walked in and we saw these two this couple. They were dressed in these Victorian outfits, mm. but just the way they looked really uh, looked really familiar. And I walked up to them and I said, "Are you guys?" David Bowie and, and Jennifer Connelly from Lab, uh, Labyrinth. The, the masquerade scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they're supposed to like, thank you. Thank Finally! You. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess another one, it, it may have been the same party. I know it was the same person hosting it. I can't remember if it was a different year or not. But uh, there was a guy, he had this really well done, just kind of creature outfit done. And uh, he kind of looked like Skeksis from, I believe it's Dark Crystal. Uh, uh, and just, the, like, he was wearing kind of a cloak over him. And, like, pretty much his entire body was just under this black cloak. But he had this big monster head coming out of the front of it. And I think he may have had some mechanics worked into it somehow. Wow. Yeah, it was really impressive. So what we've learned is that you really like Jim Henson costumes. Fuck you. <laughs> so, I mean, we talked about we going to parties. Um, you know, your sister throwing a party this year we're going to. Mm-hmm. But another thing that a lot of people like to do on Halloween is going to these haunted attractions. The haunted yeah. houses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, you and I both used to work in one. Yeah. Not the same one, but... Uh, in high school, I worked at the King County Scare Grounds, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, I was an actor. Uh, I did a lot out of. Uh, I was a guide. You know, I, I guided the people through through the, the course. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite memories was one year I wore a long black trench coat, and I had a black fedora, mm-hmm. and I painted my entire face black. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and my friend's sister came through, and there's, like, you know, a line out of the guides, and she points at me and goes, anyone but him. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it was me. Right. <laughs> and so what I would do is I would, like, open the door, let him go in, and then I would stand behind him, and I would close my eyes, <laughs> and I could 
feel like when they would turn around and I would just open my eyes really quick. <laughs> and it was all they could see because I was just all black. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah, uh, I, I worked at a uh, haunted house several years ago. It's since changed names because it changed locations. Um, the year I went in there, they had actually just lost their lease at their previous location, and uh, they had a temporary location. They had rented out one of the biggest places in, in the uh, the mall uh, in, here, here in town, and I was more behind the scenes. I wasn't an actual an actor. I, I did makeup. Uh, at, I'm sure anyone that listens to the first episode knows that I'm a, a kind of a special effects buff and so, yeah, I did a lot of makeup um, on this haunted house. Now they've relocated to Sammamish in Washington State. Uh, they're called the Nightmare Beaver Lake. And uh, it's really cool how they've done it. Uh, I've only been there a couple times since they relocated. Uh, actually didn't even know it was the same company at the time. But uh, basically they, the city kind of gave them free range to this park, this lakeside park, and they kind of set up a trail throughout the park with different scenes. Um, they've got a graveyard scene with zombies, of course. Uh, they've got uh, this butcher house scene, which actually, I don't know if it was just psychological or what, but it actually did kind of stink in there, like you might expect a butcher house to, to do, and... Uh, then what else do they have? Uh, they have clowns, f- fucking clowns. Yeah, like ours was at the King County Fairgrounds, and there was a graveyard, and I remember there was a, an actual hearse they brought in mm. that you would have to walk past. Uh, there was a clown room. Uh, there was an exorcist room <laughs> where they had they had rigged up a me- mechanical the girl. Who would pop up and her head would spin? Nice. Um, what else? Uh, oh, there was. They called it the Sanford and Son room. <laughs> Got Which, you hear about you know, this. That's the first <laughs> thing you think of when you think horror. But <laughs> it was basically just a junkyard, uh-huh. and there was two people that would work in it. And the end gag was one of them would throw a trash can, but it was on a bungee cord. Mm. So it would get right in front of the crowd and then snap back. Mm. So it, that was like the last room. So it was like the last scare. You try and find the the one guy who's too cool to be scared and throw the can at him mm-hmm. and try and try and get him one last time. Got to really bank on that bungee cord. <laughs> Looking at a fat lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, they ended up they relocated it two or three times and finally they just had to fold. That's a shame. Yeah. You always hate to see that happen. Our motto was, big or small, we scare them all, and for short, Baswasta. Baswasta. And it was right before we'd open the doors, the guy who ran it, he would yell, Baswasta! And everyone would call back, Baswasta! Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, with uh, the Nightmare Beaver Lake... For those of you in Washington State, you might know that they were originally located in Des Moines, and then they had to go to a federal way in the in the well 
what was known at this as a Sea Tech Mall, and then they had to relocate up to Sammamish, which is where they are now at Beaver Lake. So it's not just a clever name, um, but uh, re- a lot of creativity. I mean, I I really like the people that run it. I mean, they they put their heart and soul into it. Um, and I, I really can't speak highly enough for them. Um, aside from that, uh, not necessarily local to us, we've got uh, Rob Zombie's Great American Nightmare. Yeah, this is the first year for that, right? Is it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Oh. I, I can't remember hearing about it last year, so... Yeah, uh, it must have been if we just learned about it... We both just learned about it. Right. This Rob Zombie is not really the kind of person who hides things. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he basically he set up three. Or this is at the Pomona Fairgrounds down in Southern California. And he's set up uh, three different uh, haunted houses based on his movies. We've got a haunted house based on House of a Thousand Corpses, Lords of Salem, and El Super Beast, though. Oh. So, uh, don't really know much about it, obviously, because I haven't been there and probably won't have the opportunity to get down to L.A. anytime soon. But it, uh, I mean, just, I mean, if you've seen those movies, you got to imagine the creativity that must have gone into them. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Lords of Salem yet. Mm-hmm. But House of a Thousand Corpses, I can only imagine what kind of weird shit would go into that. Right. And I believe that I read something saying that at least part of the haunted house is going to be the uh, the the killers tour through Captain Spaulding's place from the movie. Oh, the ride. Yeah. Oh, I, nice. I at, at least part of it is going to be that. Um, and I think it might be a little more expanded version of it. Um, and, uh, so that, so at least that part sounded pretty interesting. Um, I'm in the same boat with you. I haven't seen Lords of Salem, so I can't really say much about it. Haven't heard the best reviews. I've heard mixed. Mixed? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I can't really speak for the quality of a haunted house based on it. But, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that up to you folks that uh, decide to check it out. Yeah, if if anyone has been to it, please email us. Yeah. Graveplotpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how it is. Yeah, tell us all about it. We'd love to hear it. Um, aside from the haunted houses, we've got a lot of bands playing. Some that... We're not fans of, but uh, a lot of they're they're popular bands, and so I imagine they'll draw in a lot of different. Diff- I mean, they're different kinds of bands, so you're not just appealing to one certain group. I mean, they're bands. I mean, you've got like um, bands like Three Hundred Three and uh, and Blood on the Dance Floor, but then you've got like. Uh, Twisted and Cotton Mountain Kings, and then you've also got like Goldfinger and Real Big Fish, and um, there were a couple other bands that I was interested in. Can't uh, Vandals. Vandals are playing. 
Um, so you've got just all these different kinds of bands, and and of course you've got uh, Rob Zombie, who I believe he's playing the the, the last night. Of course, uh, he's uh, sharing the stage with uh, Power Man Five Thousand, who uh, the singer is his brother. I believe it's his brother, maybe cousin. I I could be wrong. Oh, and uh, he's also <coughs> playing with the Eagles of Death Metal. So. Uh, I know they've got kind of a uh, small fan base, Eagles of Death Metal. I like Eagles Metal. Yeah, yeah. I, I listened to them a few times. I don't think they're terrible. I just couldn't really get into them. Looks like they have a uh, Lucha Libre wrestling going on, too. Oh, right. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that should be fun. Cool. Yeah, definitely. So um, beyond that, we've got... I'm sure a lot of you, probably most of you, are familiar with Universal Studios' uh, Halloween haunted, uh, Horror Nights, right? which actually located in domestically both, both Hawaii, uh, Hawaii, Hollywood, and Orlando, and then I believe there's also one in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah, if I read that right, I'm, I'm not positive at all. So. God only knows... What goes on there? Oh, right. <laughs> Those fuckers are crazy. Um, so, among other things, I mean, you've got several different mazes in each of these uh, locations. And some of them are the same. There are a few different ones. Uh, in, in Hollywood, you've got Walking Dead maze. Uh, Evil Dead, which is actually based on the, the new movie, mm-hmm. the one we reviewed last episode. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we did both of them. Mm-hmm. One from this year, 2013. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then you got Insidious, uh, Into the Further, which is like the subtitle of the house, or the maze, rather. And then, uh, Black Sabbath 13, or Black Sabbath 13 3D. Which looks like the theme of it is kind of like a post-apocalyptic, kind of a nuclear situation. So, like, did Black Sabbath help design it? Or I believe that's the case, yeah. Okay. And obviously you've got, I can only assume, a Black Sabbath kind of soundtrack playing mm-hmm. throughout. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure they had a, a good deal of involvement in it. Uh, so, that should be pretty interesting. Um then else, oh, we've got uh, El Cacoy, which is actually a Mexican boogeyman. Oh, okay. Yeah, I took a look at a couple... I of just knew it as a Voodoo Glow Skull song. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually a Mexico's <coughs> version of a... Uh, Mexico's version of a boogeyman. Um, and it's na- the maze is narrated... By Danny Trejo. Oh. <laughs> just, yeah. Just uh, kind of tell him the tale of El Cucuy. Uh So that, that, if nothing else, that sounded interesting to me. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, you've also got just a universal monsters maze. And I actually don't know much about that one. I gotta assume it's just different scenes with the classic Universal Monsters. Right. Dracula, Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon, sure. Mummy. Uh, Brian Frankenstein. Right. Um, Wolfman. Just, you know, those guys. <laughs> yeah. The old, the old schoolers. Right, right. 
And then uh, in Orlando, there's also a Resident Evil mm-hmm. maze, um, a, a Cabin in the Woods maze, mm-hmm. a American Werewolf in London maze. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, me and you, uh, again, probably not going to get down there to either one. Probably not. But we were watching some videos online, and the at least the Walking Dead one was a little disappointing. Yeah, um, noticed. I mean, obviously, the video we were watching kind of looked like it was a walkthrough for like maybe media types. Right. There's a lot of people with cameras in there, so obviously that certain element. I mean, they had like a night vision camera, so you could see what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, a little bit, and so that element of it was taken out, and of course the element of not actually being there. But to look at it, the sets looked great. The maze itself looked incredible, mm-hmm. very well done. Uh, I mean, you have different scenes. It seemed like most of it was in the prison. Right. There's a lot of it in Woodbury. Uh, you and I were both disappointed there was no... Do not open dead inside. Yeah, door. yeah, and I feel I feel like they did Walking Dead last year. I think they did, and I'm almost positive that it, that was actually in the maze last year. Mm. So they may have just moved Move on. on to the second two seasons. Right, right, right. The big disappointment for me, kind of as a special effects makeup guy, was just them half-assing the makeup. Yeah, there was a lot of masks. Yeah, masks. This is Universal Studios. They are one of the biggest film studios in the world, and they couldn't afford to slap some makeup on people. Yeah, especially zombie makeup. Zombie makeup is so easy. Yeah. A a few years ago, I bought one of those 99-cent black, white, and green, you know, little uh, oil-based wheels, and... You know, I made a decent-looking zombie. Right. You know, I obviously wasn't KNB Walking Dead quality, but right, it was decent enough. It was better than these than sure. what we saw. Yeah, and like some of the masks, I, I mentioned this to you before. Some of the masks themselves, like as masks, they didn't look half bad. But the fact that they were masks, yeah, and. You and I, watching this video, we noticed one guy that it kind of looked like he was wearing maybe like a half mask. Mm-hmm. You know, like his teeth were exposed or no lips. His face looked really decrepit. And like he kind of sold it, like I think the best as a zombie. I mean, he had a lot of people kind of like jumping out at you, which is to be right. expected to a certain point. But then he's, you know, they've got people just kind of like, Bouncing back and forth, looking at you dead-eyed. It's like, come on, sell it to me. You're a zombie. You want to eat my flesh. Right. <laughs> um, this guy, he didn't really do any kind of jumping at you or, like, cl- you know, clawing in your direction. But he did just kind of loom around. And you know what he looked like was a sad dog. Mm. He just, he's like... Just looked really sad in his eyes, and I, it may have just been that half mask that really s- sold it to me. But the fact that you could see the expression in his eyes, and you know, at least 
the the expression in, in the upper half of his face. I think that's what kind of helped me out with that character at least. Yeah. But the rest of it, it's like I, I can't. I'm just so disappointed that Universal Studios couldn't put forth a little more effort to yeah. slap some makeup on these people. Like I said, it it's not hard to do zombies. You just you know, pale blank base, some sh- dark circles around the eyes, make the cheeks look sunken in, make the skin look a little rotted, you know, put a little green, little blue in there, mm-hmm. and then just slap some blood on them. Yeah. Uh, that's just kind of the one, two, three of zombie makeup. Yeah. <laughs> it just... And, you know, uh, I, I believe... Greg Nicotero actually um, supervises to a certain extent. Really? Yeah. And and he let that go? It's, yeah. You're su- I'm as surprised as you. Uh, it's just really unfortunate. Yeah. Another haunted house I want to talk about is the Blackout Haunted House. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a few years. Um, there's one in New York. I think there's one in L.A., and I want to say there's a new one this year, but I'm not sure where. Okay. But it's it used to be $50. I think it's 65 this year. Jesus Christ. And you have to sign a waiver to go in. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the rules are you have to go in alone, mm-hmm. and you have to use a flashlight that they give you. Oh, wow. And, of course... You know, they give you a flashlight with half-dead batteries, so it's, you know, going in and out. Right. And this is one of the few haunted houses where they can touch you, okay. and that's that's why you have to sign the waiver. And you're just going through this dark environment, and apparently there's nudity in it. You, there's a part where you have to reach into a toilet oh, to try and get a key to unlock something. Wow. And it's, I mean, they call it a... Uh, a haunted experience. Mm, makes that it's, more intense. Right. And there's, there's there's a safe word in case it gets too intense. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing just sounds... It's... I mean, intense. That's really the only word. Right. Yeah, that sounds like quite the experience. The only Can, thing is, it, it seems to me like it's not really intense, visceral horror as much as it's just a gross-out. Right. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely sounds like uh, kind of what they're going for is not just. There's a part where they put a bag over your head. That sounds pretty terrifying. Like a plastic bag? Uh, I think it's a burlap bag. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think even they can get away with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds pretty terrifying. Just not in the common sense. Like you say, it's not just like. Um, like a blood and guts, like jump scare, right? That thing that you might expect from a haunted house, just like really uncomfortable, queasy, yeah, just disgusting. But that's thing. that's the kind of shit that sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. And I I know the um, hosted a Halloween party of uh, my own last year, and didn't go over the top of the decorations. I actually, left a lot of the decorations to my sister and her husband, but. One thing that I did was I set up the bathroom. I killed all the lights. Like, I, I left the bulbs in and screwed them so that they wouldn't turn on when you flip the switch. Mm-hmm. Put this tiny little, like, 
like the little turn switch lamp in there. It's just this tiny little thing. Put it in there. That was the only light. Then what I what I did is I put up a clear or like a hazy clear vinyl curtain. Got some red cellophane. Put it over the surface of the tub. And then I set up a sound effect of a girl crying and um, water running. And I put bloody handprints on the on the uh, curtain. And I had this really good fake blood by Ben Nye. Uh, I wrote, I'm sorry, on the mirror. That's and fucked up. It was fucked up. It wasn't terrifying. It just really creeped you out. And it's just like you saying... That's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that really terrifies someone. Not fucking spider webs and right. That's awesome. <laughs> smoke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, again, if anyone that's listening has been to Blackout or has their own haunted attraction stories you want to share, email us or you know comment on our blog. Yeah. Again, tell us all about it. I mean, we're not. Big travelers. Uh, <laughs> we're living on podcasters' budgets, so we don't get around much. But yeah, tell us all about it. We'd love to hear it. Its reports, incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. First eyewitness accounts of this grisly development came from people who were understandably frightened and almost incoherent. Officials and newsmen at first discounted there was eyewitness descriptions as being beyond belief. However, the reports persisted. Medical examinations of some of the victims bore out the fact that they had been partially devoured. All right, and now to the news. Uh, we're going to talk about some upcoming things, uh, television and, and movies. episode, we got so excited talking about The Walking Dead coming back, we completely skipped over American Horror Story. Right, right. Uh, I was really disappointed in ourselves. <laughs> it's it's up to season three. This season is called Coven. It's mm-hmm. about witches. Yeah, and at the point of this recording, we're a couple episodes deep now. Two. Two, yeah. Um, and I gotta say, I'm really liking this so far. Yeah, I didn't expect to, mm-hmm. but... Uh, I haven't seen the second episode yet. I only saw the premiere. Oh, okay. But it was good. It sucked me in. It, it kept me interested and made me want to keep watching. Sure. Yeah, the last two seasons, uh, th- I think kind of the th- thing that they're going for with American Horror Story is kind of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to show all their cards right right away um, with the original season. You know, you, you don't... I mean, you kind of suspect that the house is haunted, but you don't really know until you start, like, people start revealing themselves as ghosts. Season one was funny, and so far season three has been the same way, where every episode, I'm like, this is dumb. I don't like this. And then at the end of the episode, I'm like, all right, well, I'll watch next week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know... I don't know if you watched season two or not. Uh, I watched Asylum. like two or three episodes. Same here. I watched a handful of episodes. Um, couldn't really get into it. 
my my fiance, she sat down and she just kind of marathon watched the entire season, and she seemed to really like it. Uh, but I mean, I sat and watched a handful of episodes with her, and she could not get into it. I mean, they're doing I think that that slow burn thing, but it was a little. Like, bit I thought too it slow. started out well with the asylum and everything, but then it started getting into aliens. Like there was something living in his brain or something, like a tiny robot. <laughs> yeah, and that just lost me. Wow. Okay. Out of left field there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with Coven, it started out right away. I mean, you know these characters are witches. They, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't pull any punches with that. Right. Um, you've got different characters. Uh, and it seemed like there are Witches with different powers. We've got um, somebody's telekinetic. Uh, we've got... Um, she was referred to as a, a black widow. Basically anyone she's intimate with. She, oh, the, the, the main girl? Yeah, yeah. She uh, kills people with her vagina. Right. <laughs> yeah, basically kind of sucks their life force out. <laughs> Uh, through their dick. <laughs> um, they the human voodoo doll. The human voodoo doll. You got one girl who is uh, a telepath, and she is actually the girl with Down syndrome from the first season. Mm-hmm. And actually, the uh, the Black Widow. She is uh, was it Tessa Farmisha. She's I don't know. she's the daughter in the first season. Right. And she, uh, she's back. Uh, then you've got Jessica Lang. Of course. Who, she's become a staple. Right. I almost she, think. She is the face of that show. Absolutely. She, I, I almost think she's going to be in every season. I mean, at this point. It sure seems that way. Yeah. At this point, they've kind of committed to it, I think. So, she, she seems to be, well, actually, there's another character seems like her daughter, she seems more like an alchemist um, rather than having any, like, magical power. Well, she does. But she, she's a witch, but she seems like she does a lot of alchemy. Um, she has a lot of, like, botany. That, too, yeah. But she mixes a lot of potions and right. things like that. Um, then there's her mother, Jessica Lang. She seems like she's just kind of an all-around witch. But she's a supreme. Right, right. That's Okay, that's the term they use. She's a supreme witch. Seems like she's pretty well-rounded. She kind of has all the powers. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, anyway. Yeah. But, so... And they added Kathy Bates this year. Mm-hmm. Who is not a witch. She's... She's been cursed. She's actually from 1830. Right. Uh, she was actually cursed by a voodoo witch. And, I mean, you, you can watch... You guys can watch the series for yourselves. We don't spoil it for you too much. Uh, but so far, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's engaging. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't have me thinking, okay, well, I'll wait till the end of the season, and then I'll watch all the episodes so I don't have to deal with this build-up. It's, right. like it's, it's got continuous action, you know. 
Uh, oh, and then of course you've got, uh, the, uh, the blonde kid who's, who's been in the previous two seasons. Evan Peters. Evan Pierce. Um, he's, you know, I, I like him. He's, he seems to be a decent actor. Yeah. I think I liked his uh, character Tate from the first season. Mm-hmm. I think I liked him the most. Yeah, I agree. But he, he, he seems to play pretty good characters, uh, not only in American Horror, uh, American Horror Story, but everything, and also I've seen him, and he's, he's, he's a decent actor, so. Yeah. Before you came, I was all alone. It is bad to be alone. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. Friend. Good. <laughs> We've got a movie coming out called I Frankenstein. Which is going to star Aaron Eckhart, which you guys might know from uh, The Dark Knight, played Harvey, Harvey Dent. And basically the premise of this is he is Frankenstein's monster. It's, is it present day? Yes. Okay. Uh, he is Frankenstein's monster. He's been alive for 200 some odd years now. And in that time, he's kind of gained a semblance of a life of his own. Uh, he has taken the name Adam, so he's Adam Frankenstein. And he's just kind of been wandering the earth. Is that is that like a biblical Adam? Or, like, how did he come up with Adam? Uh, I'm not clear on that. I just know that, that that's the name he chose for oh, himself, which okay. is Adam. Uh, and that, that could be, I mean, like, Obviously, that's a very um, obvious kind of play towards biblical terms. Right. Um, and so he's, you know, over 200 years, he's kind of discovered that he's not going to die. He's immortal. And he, you know, he's, he's taught himself to be a human, how to read, how to interact. But he still kind of li- has his... You know, I walk alone mentality. And so he gets discovered by this clan of demons. And so they are in this kind of battle with this other clan of uh, gargoyles. I just get these living gargoyles. And it's just this, this ongoing battle against them, I guess. Kind of maybe a little like uh, Underworld. Yeah, I definitely got an an underworld kind of feel from it. Yeah. And it's the same, what, producers or... Something like that. I believe they do have something in common. So, yeah, that getting that feel from it definitely makes sense to a Mm -hmm. certain degree. Um, And so I think they are kind of competing to get to Adam... To kind of find out his secret to immortality. Um, and that's, that's kind of all I really know about it at this point. It's That's more than I got from the preview. Right. I, yeah, I kind of read up on it a little bit. Um, so, it sounds interesting. Um, I don't know. It almost sounds like more of a, more of a renter to yeah. me. But, we'll see. I mean, there's still time... Until it comes out 
for you know more trailers, more explanation of the plot and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, that that looks at least mildly interesting. Yeah. Also, the new Paranormal Activity is coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be kind of a spin-off. It's not a direct sequel. Well, they called it a, a cousin movie. Right, right. I'm not too sure how I feel about that. Sort of like the, the Walking Dead companion series. Right. Kind of the same idea. Yeah, kind of gives me this, the same feeling and an impression about it. Um, basically, the premise is it takes place in Oxnard, California, uh, which, you know, I don't want to offend anybody from Oxnard. But it's no, not, you don't. <laughs> it's, it's it's not the best place. It's definitely different than the suburbs the other movies have taken place in. Um, basically, it takes place in a very Latin neighborhood. Um, and as opposed to where it kind of deals with generic... The, the previous movie is dealing with kind of generic... Possession, um, kind of non-specific religious aspects. This one is very strongly Catholic, and um, that sect of the Christianity deals with a lot of um, uh, demonic possession and exorcism and things of that nature. Basically, the premise is that a boy or young man is cursed by or, or marked by his neighbor and it's not clear exactly why that happened but he's marked by his neighbor and it's weird if you read the plot it says that he wakes up with appears to be a bite and discovers he has new powers mm-hmm. so well, that sounds to me like spider-man <laughs> yeah. There's even a scene in the trailer where he pulls what looks like a black spider web out of his eye. Right, and that creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> you have a thing with eyeballs. Mm-hmm. It's true, I do. Um, and so he gets, looks like he gets jumped by um, a couple of gangsters at some point, and and he kind of uses some kind of telekinesis to force him away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he doesn't know what's going on with him. And it looks like uh, the character of Allie from Paranormal Activity 2 comes into play at a certain point where she's discussing her stepmom and her sister, which are uh, Katie and Julie, I believe the name was. Um, which are obviously the two sisters from the... Wasn't it Katie and Christy? Was it Christy? I thought I, it was I, another Katie, K-name or K-sounding... I could be wrong. That may be the case. But it looks like they kind of maybe find her somehow, and she's explaining her own experiences with possession. Yeah, Katie and Christy. Christy, okay. Well... So they look like they kind of consult her. Uh, so there is some tie-in. A little bit, yeah. And I, as far as I can tell, that's really the only other tie-in. Except for there is a point where they go into his neighbor's apartment, who lives downstairs, um, and they discover all this crazy 
voodoo, voodoo or, or black magic, um, kind of satanic stuff just all around this apartment. And it looks like they discover a box of tapes that are labeled Katie and Christy, mm-hmm. which you got to assume are the tapes from Paranormal Activity 3. Right. So there's that kind of tie-in. I imagine that's how they get in touch with Allie. Probably, yeah. Um, so you got to imagine there's that kind of tie-in with the original series, but aside from that, it kind of looks like it's all its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently this was actually designed for a more Latino crowd, strictly. Kind of like how... Um, a Spike Lee movie would be geared towards the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of looks like this is like a paranormal activity for Latinos. Interesting. Um, Did Latinos not like the original series? I, I <laughs> Too many know. white people! <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you, but it seems like that kind of seems to be the basic premise of it. Um, he looks like, like, at one point, they attempt an exorcism and doesn't go exactly how they planned it to go. And, um, so, to say the least, it, it got my attention. Um, I don't think I saw any of the paranormal activities, except for the first one. I didn't see any of them in the theater. I was waiting. I'm a little tired of them. Myself. They are getting really worn out. And then Paranormal Activity 5, which actually follows the original series, comes out next October. Right. And I, th- I feel like they've milked that cow dry. I don't know where else they can go with it. Well, in Part 4, they added witches, which I didn't see coming. So they could go wherever they want. Sure. Well, actually, the witches, that was in Part 3, wasn't it? I think it started in part three, and then they kind of expanded on it okay. in part four. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I guess they could explore that a little bit. But aside from that, yeah, I'm kind of in the boat, same boat with you. I'm just getting tired of it. Um, I mean, it's just kind of another example. of It's so far from the original um, independent Oren Pelly movie. That it's it's just not even the same series anymore to me. Right. It's it's, it's over Hollywooded now. I was just gonna say that, yeah, it's very overproduced and Hollywood does what it does best. It took an original idea and just sucked the life out of it. Commercialized the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Moving on, but staying in the possession realm. Mr. Robert Kirkman has a new comic coming out. For those of you that don't know, he wrote the Walking Dead comics. He has a new comic called Outcast. It's um, about a guy named Kyle Barnes, who has been plagued by demonic possession since he was a child. And now he's an adult, and he's he's going on a journey to try and find answers. Um, and it's it says what he uncovers could mean the end of life on Earth as we know it, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to come out next year, and it's already being developed at, for a TV show. Seriously? Yeah. God damn it, um, AMC. 
It doesn't have a network yet. Okay. But it's Fox International Channels, and they own, you know, Fox, FX, I'm sure a handful of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirkman's writing the pilot, and he's, he's supposed to be heavily involved, just like he is with Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see where that goes. Okay. Well, I mean, this... Kirkman has definitely <laughs> proven himself over and over that he can do zombies mm-hmm. very well. Possession and demons or, you know, things of that nature, he hasn't really, at least in the public eye, he hasn't really cut his teeth on that yet. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I would like to see the comic come out first. Sure. See how it does. Mm-hmm. If it's worth getting a TV show. And not just giving it just because of The Walking Dead. Right, right. Yeah, and again, he's with Walking Dead, the series, the TV series, he's kind of demonstrated that he's not going to allow his work to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, he has earned himself the benefit of the doubt at this sh- point. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's definitely something I'll check out. Um, I am not a huge comic reader, at least not as, as much as I used to be. Um, but when it comes out, I, I think I might give it a look and and, and see how it is. Um, yeah. Do you know at all if it's going to be kind of the same like black and white style? I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an artist named Paul. I, th- I think it's Azaceta is how you pronounce it. Okay, but he'll he'll be doing all the art. And in, from what I've seen, I've only seen a cover, but it was all in black and white, so. Okay. Um, well, that sounds intriguing, to say the least. Yeah, something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, it's funny, earlier, we, when we were talking about our costumes, we mentioned both Patrick Bateman and Doctor Who, and it's funny because, uh, former Doctor Who, Matt Smith, is going to be playing Patrick Bateman on Broadway. Right. Uh, actually, it's not Broadway right now, it's actually only in the UK. I oh, believe okay. they have aspirations to... Take it to Broadway. But it's a, it's an American Psycho musical. Right, right. Um, and, yeah, I was c- kind of looking forward to talking about this so I can geek out about a Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, you know I, Doctor Who much better than I do. Sure. Um, yeah, Matt Smith, he is the current Doctor. Uh, uh, those of you who know, he is actually giving up his post as the Doctor at the end of the season, um, uh, giving way to Peter Capaldi. But... When Matt Smith came on as the Doctor, I was a little skeptical, mainly because I'd never heard of him before. Um, and even now, I'm still a much bigger fan of David Tennant, who was the previous Doctor. But I cannot deny Matt Smith's acting skills. He sells the character so well. Um he he has this kind of 
whimsical, childlike nature to him. Um, but at the same time, well, not at the same time, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, he can kind of play that darker side. You know, somebody that's lived 900 years and has these secrets inside that he can't tell anyone. He does that really well. And so knowing that he can play those two versions of himself, um, one that's kind of like the happy-go-lucky face that he shows everyone else, and then the darker side it keeps inside, I think this will play really well into Patrick Bateman, because that's essentially who he is. Right. Um, and it's, it's a musical, which I'm a little thrown off by. I've never been a bit of musical fan, and I can't speak to his, Merrimack Smith's, singing abilities. Um, so There's been a handful of horror musicals recently in the past, you know, mm-hmm. decade or so. There was There's a Night of the Living Dead, Evil Dead, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Those have all been made into musicals. Sure. Um, so, yeah, obviously it's been proven to be a, a good style converting horror into musical. Um, as I said, I've never been a big musical fan, so I'm not really sure what to think about it. Um, I just hope there's some uh, Huey Lewis in it. Yeah. <laughs> and some uh, Phil Collins. Beyond that, as I've stated before, it's, it's, it's actually in production right now. They're not actually performing yet. And I believe they're not actually going to start performing until next year. But, as I said before, I believe when they open in London, uh, obviously they're going to finish their uh, their show run there and any extensions they might have. But then the intention is to actually move it to Broadway eventually, bring it to an American crowd. Mm. Which seems only fitting. I mean, it's American Psycho, right? Um, and you know, of course, American Psycho takes place in New York, so where else to have it? What better Broadway. place than Broadway? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't see myself ever going to a musical. Or I'm sure by the time it gets to Broadway, Neil Patrick Harris will be in it. <laughs> Well, that might take some of the magic out for me. I mean, I love Ned, MPH, but, but I'd be I, seeing it for that. He's in everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and the last bit of news we have here is uh, Max Brooks, who is obviously famous for his works on zombies with uh, Zombie Survival Guide and uh, World War Z. Um, he's the book. Uh, the book, right. Not the... Horrible, horrible movie. Yeah, fuck that movie. Uh, He's coming out with a new work here. Actually, I believe it's already out. Uh, It's a comic book series called The Extinction Parade. And basically the premise of this is rather than, for instance, World War Z, where it talks about how humans battle zombies and zombie apocalypse, this takes the focus on to how vampires survive in the zombie apocalypse. Interesting. Yeah, and so, like I said, I I believe one or maybe two issues of the series have been released already, 
But so basically, this is kind of, like I said from the perspective of a of a couple vampires. I mean, they're centuries old at this point, and they're around at the beginning of the apocalypse, where zombies start killing humans and event. Uh, initially, they kind of see it as this awesome thing. It's like, all right, zombies are killing all these humans. We're taking over the world. Uh, we can kill all the humans we want. There are no more cops. There are no more authorities to stop us. I mean, the world is ours. But then slowly, as the humans start disappearing, they start realizing, shit, what are we going to eat? Right. So... It, it, it sounds pretty, pretty cool, I think. So basically, the vampires have to save humanity. It sounds essentially what's going on, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's really an interesting concept. Um, I mean, when you think of vampires versus zombies, you are seeing the two just kind of battle it out to the death, but it's never with that human aspect. Right. You never really think about why would they be fighting. Right, right, right. And you got to assume these are just kind of classic Max Brooks, George Romero-type zombies. Yeah, the shamblers. And just brainless. Yeah. So, obviously, it'll be an uphill battle for these vampires. Um so it's uh, especially it's, since vampires can't go out in the sunlight, right? Right. So they're you know theoretically losing hours of the day to these zombies, and it's like, well, shit, we're stuck inside. What the hell are we gonna do? Yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously, it's gonna be it's like, kind of the reverse of a human who has to sleep at night, yeah, and leave himself susceptible to being attacked by a zombie. Mm-hmm. For them, it's that they have to be, you know, in, in their tomb during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, it would be just kind of like a an uphill battle for them because the hordes will just keep growing. Yeah. Um, I mean, every human they lose is a, an enemy gained. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, i got to credit Mel Brooks for coming up with a Max really- Brooks. Excuse me, Max. Mel Brooks' son. Right, right, right. <laughs> I got to credit him with coming up with a really cool idea, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes the whole vampires versus zombies thing that everybody talks about and actually gives me a reason to care. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the vampires alone are so fucking played out yeah. that it's just like, who gives a shit anymore? But I think this kind of... Shows them in a different light, kind of uh, reluctant heroes almost. Yeah, like an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. So, that should be interesting. They have to save humanity so they can destroy it. Yes. Essentially. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean you, you've got to save your food source. Yeah. Um, I mean, if uh, a farmer who, like, lives self-sustained off of his crops. If he loses a crop, he's up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah. So, that sounds pretty cool to me. Yeah, that sounds like something I'll have to check out. Yeah, I mean, like like I said before, I'm not a big comic reader, but this might be actually something that I need to 
read at least the first issue just to see how it goes. Yeah. So, cool. Let's yeah. move on to reviews. Let's do it. This is the one night. So don't forget your costume. All sorts of things. Rome free. The Halloween school bus massacre. The first movie we want to talk about is the quintessential Halloween movie to us. If you listened to the last episode, you know that the one movie that me and Tony watch every Halloween is Trick or Treat. Yeah. Uh, Michael Doherty wrote and directed this movie. It was supposed to come out in 2007, got pushed back, pushed back, finally came out straight to DVD in 2009. Stars Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, Dylan Baker, and it's basically an anthology. It's four different stories, all surrounding the rules of Halloween. And if you don't follow the rules of Halloween, there are consequences. Dire consequences. Right, and you kind of pointed something out to me, something I hadn't actually noticed before, was... There's kind of a, an old black and white vintage movie video thing at the very beginning that explains the rules. You said they're actually different from the ones in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, there's four rules in the movie, and they are, number one, always wear a costume. Number two, always hand out treats. Number three, never blow out a jack-o'-lantern. And number four is always check your candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are kind of the essential rules that any trick-or-treater grows up with. So, But the, uh, the promotional video at the beginning, the rules are always stay on sidewalks, never go to a stranger's house, and never go out alone. Right. So I, I wonder if that was just an oversight or... Well, I think... The promotional video is more like safety tips, mm-hmm. whereas the rules in the movie are more tradition. Sure. And as we all know, the 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 kind of nonverbal narrator of of trick or treat, Sam, uh, you know how adamant he is about these rules. Yeah, Sam is a uh, he's a pint sized trick or treater dressed in an Orange footy pajamas and a burlap sack on his head. Mm-hmm. And he's just adorable. Just cute as a button. Uh, until he gets that burlap sack removed. And yeah. then you find out he's a terrifying pumpkin monster thing. Right. <laughs> Who is full of endosperm. I just discovered the technical term for the inside of a pumpkin is endosperm. I don't like that at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't come up with it. It's like when, at a certain point where he's getting shot with a shotgun, just slinging endosperm all just, over the room. Just throwing endosperm everywhere. Just throwing ropes all over the walls. <laughs> <laughs> Don't endosperm on the walls. Come on. Oh, it's in my hair. Oh, 
terrible. Got it in my eye. <laughs> but yeah, Sam is there to enforce the rules if you don't follow them. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of quickly as possible go over the premise of the movie, basically, it's an anthology. Uh, several different smaller stories with a wraparound story with Sam kind of being the marshal of Halloween tradition. You've got a story that's actually fairly brief at the beginning. There's a married couple, and she violates the rule of extinguishing a jack-o'-lantern mm-hmm. before Halloween's over. And so you find out Sam is actually watching her from across the street and takes care of her. <laughs> um, another story is there is... Is he, is he a teacher or a principal? I believe he's the principal. Okay, he's a principal, of, you have to assume, an elementary school, who is... He discovers uh, Thurman Merman from <laughs> Bad Santa stealing all his candy, even though there's a clear sign on his porch that says, please take one. And smashing jack-o'-lanterns. And smashing jack-o'-lanterns, which is um, what I think attracts the attention of Sam. Uh, indirectly extinguishing jack-o'-lanterns. Uh, so you kind of find out that uh, this teacher, or principal, kind of has kind of a hidden agenda <laughs> to, to speak discreetly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just realizing now this movie might be hard to spoil, or not to spoil. Yeah. We'll do our best. Sure. Um, another story, we've got uh, a couple sisters and their group of friends. Uh, it almost seems like this Halloween, for the younger sister, who is played by Anna Paquin, mm-hmm. uh, and this is before True Blood, mm-hmm. so she's, she, like we said last episode, at this point she was just rogue. Yeah. That's how people knew her. Um seems like this Halloween is kind of a rite of passage for her somehow. Um, it, it seems like she's being encouraged by her sister and her friends to find a guy and bring him to this party. So that kind of seems like her quest is to find this guy. Right. Um, but you kind of find doubt that you know, they're a little bit two-faced themselves. Again, they have ulterior motives. Right. Um, Things do not go as expected. Right. And another story is... Mr. Krieg. Mr. Krieg, yeah, who... Played by Brian Cox and a fake nose. Yeah, a fake nose. <laughs> Starring Brian Cox, fake nose. Um, he is just a crotchety old man living by himself in a very dark house. It seems like he's very anti-Halloween, like he has a grudge against it. And he is stalked and attacked by Sam, basically for not not having treats. Yep. That, that kind of seems like the rule he's broken. And then another story is there's a gang of younger kids, they look like they might be, be 13, 14 years old. It's hard to tell because they're all wearing Halloween costumes. Sure. It seems 
or they're out collecting jack lanterns, and they they say it's for a UNICEF fundraiser, a scavenger hunt of some sort. So they're just going around collecting jack lanterns from everyone, and they collect up this character who she seems like she's really the outcast, mm-hmm. um, and they call her Rhonda the Retard, right? And she seems like she might be a little off, which could just be kind of a social awkwardness. Well, they say she's an idiot savant. So, it's, I mean, it's hard to tell how literally you're supposed to take that. Yeah. So, but needless to say, there's something off about her. She's very socially inept, and you can... Tell these kids are just kind of bringing her along just to fuck with her. And you do find out that they are setting up an elaborate prank against her. But in the end, that all kind of falls apart. Right. Um, so hopefully we didn't spoil any of those stories for you. Uh, like we said, it's all just a big wraparound. And something that you don't see in a lot of anthology movies is all of the stories intertwine with each other. Right. I mean... There's see, characters, even if it's briefly, going into each other's stories. Yeah. And to a certain extent, there may be characters that actually have a play in this other story. Right. Or just a brief appearance. I mean, Either directly or indirectly. Right, right, right. And so, as we said before, this has got to be mutually our favorite Halloween movie. Definitely. I mean, we put this above. We put this above Halloween. Um, puts, it's like I said. It is my quintessential Halloween movie. I have to watch it every year. Thiernet plays it for twenty-four hours on Halloween. God bless him. I know. Just like uh, Christmas Story, but with Halloween. And they also, Fearnet has these shorts that they do with Sam for Easter, Father's Day, back to school. And then this year, they have four new ones that show the four rules. And they're fucking creepy. They are creepy as hell. I mean, they they explain the four rules kind of abstractly. You don't quite realize... You kind of, you don't really realize how the rule plays into this scenario that you're brought into. Yeah. Um, kind of until the end. Um, but yeah, they are really creepy. Um, and if I remember right, Sam isn't actually in all of them. I think he's only in one. Only in one? Okay. Well, that's a shame because he's what I really look forward to. But yeah. Um, so, Trick or Treat is, it, it's, it's a movie that actually had a hard time getting up off the ground. It was developed from a short. Right. Uh, an animated short. From Michael Doherty called Season's Greetings. Right. It was about three, four minutes long. Uh huh. Um, it featured Sam, although he looked, he looked a little different mm-hmm. than he ended up looking in the film. Um, and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how it ended up getting picked up by Warner. Uh, I believe it's Warner 
premiere or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, the movie was actually made in 2007, but just because it had such a hard time getting up off the ground, getting distribution and uh, uh, things of that nature, kind of the business end of things, it actually didn't end up coming out to a large release, or actually it didn't even come out in the theater. It didn't come out on a DVD release until 2009. So it took a full two years of just festival showings. And this actually premiered at um, Ain't It Cool News uh, button a That was the, the first time it had premiered at all. Um, and so between 2007, 2009, it was just on the festival run. I mean, that was really the only way somebody could see it. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because this year it's going to be screened at Beyond Fest, which is the, the, the first time it's been there. It's at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. And afterwards, there's going to be a panel with Mike Doherty and some of the cast. And the panel is going to be streamed online on cool. uh, Legendary Pictures Facebook page. That's cool. Yeah, and Michael Doherty has said that if it all goes well, that maybe, in his words, Sam could rise from the pumpkin patch again. Hmm. Well, let's hope for the best with that. Which, if you listen to the last episode, you know we are all for. Oh, absolutely. This is something they could... Like we said before, this is something they could play into countless amounts of sequels. I mean, as long as they continue to come up with original ideas for stories, there's no telling how many movies they can make. Yeah. And still have them have that quality of the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that in a lot of sequels you, you don't really get because they, they try to reuse the original story to a certain extent and it just gets tired Right. But with this one, it has the kind of essential wraparound story with Sam, but it's, it's, ha- having it being an anthology, it's kind of, um, constantly growing. Yeah, you could go anywhere with it. Yeah. And you could even, you know, expand on the rules, make more rules. Right, right, yeah, that's actually something I hadn't even thought of. Um, there's no saying there's just four rules to Halloween. Right, because the rules all, all center on tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you don't blow out a jack-o'-lantern because it's there to protect you. Right. It's These aren't just rules that Michael Doherty or Warner or anybody made up. Mm-hmm. These are, like, these are back in history. Yeah, those are, like, ancient the dawn of, Celtic. You know, Sawin or Samhain, however you pronounce it. Sawin. Right. This goes way back in history to, like, the beginning of Halloween and Dia de los Muertos and Samhain and, you know, all the holidays that made, that are based around, you know, the fall solstice or... Right. Um, and this The is, harvest. I mean, Halloween itself has so many ties to, um, like, pagan celebrations. Right. Well, the... The theory is that it's the one day of the year where the veil is the thinnest between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Mm -hmm. So, theoretically, the dead could cross over. 
And so we dress up as demons and monsters to hide in plain sight, basically. Right. Um, and that's where rule one, always where our costume comes from. Right. And rule two, you know, never blow out a jack-o'-lantern. That actually comes into play in, in the movie, uh, as where a jack-o'-lantern provides a sort of protection for you that, that comes into play um, in the story with the children playing the prank on their not-friend. <laughs> right, she, she tells the boy, keep the jack-o'-lantern lit and it'll protect you. Right, right. And, you know, this is not a blood and gore movie. Yeah. Which... Is something that sells to me, and I, th- I think you, uh, that, that really sells me on it, typically. And I, I mean, I'm not a stupid movie watcher, but, uh, when I, when I see just that violence, I mean, that, that sells horror to me. Um, a lot of times, even if a movie sucks, if it's got a lot of, Violence and gore, it could, it gives it that little boost, you know. It's somewhat of a redemption, yeah. Yeah, uh, as long as the effects are good. Right. And, so, so this movie actually doesn't have a lot of blood and gore. It's, it's just really an intelligent film to where it, it takes these kind of ancient rules and shows them in a modern setting mm-hmm. and kind of, like I said, gives you a non-verbal um, narrator, moderator, martial character that you gotta assume is just out enforcing these rules every year. And it, if nothing else, it'll make people go and read about the rules mm-hmm. and learn more about Halloween yeah. and why we do the things we do. And you know, uh, as I said before, it doesn't have a lot of blood and guts, but it's not to say it doesn't have its Amount of violence, uh, it's kind of just indirect a little bit. Yeah, and the violence that is there is done well. Mm-hmm. It's not unnecessary violence. Right, right. And, I mean, a lot of it is obviously done by Sam. Well, not even that much. It's a good amount of it, but yeah. obviously not all of it, because a lot of times Sam is just a, an onlooker. He doesn't even really have anything directly did to do with the story. Right. But he's there watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain elements of kind of classic monsters. I mean, you, you touch a little bit on vampires to a certain extent, uh, uh, werewolves to a certain extent, um, zombies... Sort of. Sort of, yeah. Um, so, it, it, for us, this movie has everything you can need in a Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before, I said that this movie, it, it's it's the ultimate Halloween movie in that it directly deals with Halloween, as opposed to Halloween, the movie, for instance, just takes place. On Halloween. Exactly, and it, the story itself has almost nothing to do with Halloween. Right, Trick or Treat could not be made any other day of the year. No, um, just because of the, uh, the subject matter, it needs to take place on All Hallows' Eve. So, 
Um, it's a great movie. Uh, can't recommend it highly enough. So, what do you say on 1 to 10? What do you rate it? Um, it's very hard for me to call a movie perfect. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to say 9. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to agree with you. Uh, it's not a perfect movie. I mean, it doesn't have that kind of violence element that I tend to look for in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love intelligent humor, but I kind of look for more of that. Or not humor, sorry. Horror. I kind of look for that more in, like, kind of a ghost story or maybe like a um, like a horror thriller type movie. But this was, like, kind of a straight horror movie, so I could have liked to have a little more kind of blood and guts in there. So, But that aside, great movie. Uh, I don't think I would have changed anything else about that. Um, so I'm going to agree with you, and i got to give it a nine. A funeral parlor? Way out here? I can't believe we're going to party here. Now it's time for party games. Yeah. How about a past life seance? A seance? What the hell was that? The pure evil. The demon. want to talk about is um, another, it's, a, it's one of the ones that takes place on Halloween but isn't necessarily well I guess in a way it is centered on Halloween couldn't take place another day of the year but it's Night of the Demons from 1988 right the original because this was remade in 2009 yes um, and that one I mean obviously it had a little more Hesitant to call it a star-studded cast, but more familiar names. Um, I mean, you look at this original one, and you, just, you don't know anyone. I don't. I don't think I've seen. Well, I take that back. There is um, Linnea Quigley, who is pretty well known as a scream queen from the '80s. You might know her from. Uh, Return of the Living Dead, she played Trash, mm. and, uh, you know, she was the one who had her inf- uh, infamous naked graveyard. Her bar. ass is getting naked again! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she, she's really the only recognizable name in this, at least that I know of. Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, the kind of a premise of this movie is, uh, we've got our character, Angela, who's kind of seemed like she's like kind of the goth, dark mm-hmm. outcast of what you assume is like kind of like a senior high school class. Um, she's kind of regarded as the weird one. Anyway, she's hosting this Halloween party at this dilapidated old uh, mortuary up on a hill somewhere on the outskirts of town. And so she invites this kind of hodgepodge of characters, people that don't really seem like they'd be hanging out together. They all seem to know each other really well. Yeah. Anyway, they go to this party, and they are, you know, obviously they're drinking and and uh, kind of loosening up, and they get the bright idea that they're going to start messing around with... They're going to have a seance. Yeah, you know, seance, you know, kind of black magic, uh, witchcraft type, you know. And they touch on, like we said earlier, about, you know, Halloween being the day... When the veil is the thinnest, right, and the the um, the easiest day for spirits to cross over. Mm-hmm. So they hold this kind of seance, and they inadvertently release this demon, this this evil being um, that infests the house and just kind of slowly starts possessing these kids one by one and it's just kind of a struggle from there to find a way out of this mortuary i mean this place seems like it's it's kind of a maze there's there's it's almost like like the house itself is alive yeah because the the entrances and exits will move or disappear and right uh the entire house is surrounded by an underwater underground stream and I, that confused me a little bit because I don't understand how a stream could encircle a house. Um, I'm no physics expert, but I don't think streams work that way. That's a moat. <laughs> that is a moat. Uh, but it's very clearly flowing water. I mean, you can hear the flowing. And something that I can't picture a mason ever doing is building a brick wall directly on top of the stream um, and building this brick wall around the house. And once the action starts happening, uh, a couple characters try to escape and they discover, hey, this entrance to this brick wall we just came through, it's not there anymore. So the rest of the movie is basically just... Uh, Trying to stay alive, trying to not be possessed, trying to escape your friends that have been possessed, and find a way out of the house with your life. Now, I gotta say, when I was a kid, uh, I was, you know, six, seven, maybe eight years old. I saw this movie, and I just, I actually even saw just the cover, um, with Angela in her demon form. And this movie scared the piss out of me. Uh, I couldn't sleep for weeks after seeing this goddamn movie. Um, and you know, it's funny, before you and I watched it for this podcast, I had just watched it myself uh, a year or two ago, and... 
I was just thinking to myself, what the hell was I so scared about? <laughs> this movie sucks. <laughs> I mean, right off the bat, you kind of see that there's just horrendous acting. I mean, there isn't a single person in this movie that can act. <laughs> I actually think the best actor in the whole thing is the guy that played Stooge. Yeah, because he, I mean, how He's just different. a big meathead. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me go over the characters here. We've got kind of the girl, the, the kind of the pure innocent one. Uh, you've got her kind of boyfriend who seems like he's the good guy at first, but then he kind of shows his true colors. He's just really in it for the sex. And you've got this meathead, just this, this fathead mullet, mullet creep. Um, and you've got the, the token black guy. <laughs> um, and then you've got, I like when the black guy goes off about how he knew it was a terrible idea to come to this party, <laughs> but he did. Yeah, and I knew, like, at one point, he kind of conveys himself as religious, and it's like, oh, my daddy was a preacher, uh, he taught me how to pray, you know, uh, when they're being attacked by, or when they're kind of running from these possessed friends of theirs, uh, he's just like, we gotta stop and pray. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, no, you gotta run your fucking <laughs> ass off and get away. There's no time for prayer. Prayers haven't been working. Pray and run at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, this movie starts up and it's got, rather than do kind of a cold start where they run the credits over the opening scene, they kind of have an opening <laughs> cartoon. Cartoon, yeah. It was awful. What did you describe it as? I said it looked like a Nickelodeon special. Yes, yeah. It's just this really corny, I mean, obviously old. I mean, this movie's from the 80s, but... Even for the 80s, though, like, just cartoon ghosts flying around. Yeah, and... it... it, it Definitely looked like something that was designed for children. Yeah. Not leading up to the, <laughs> the movie that you're about to watch. Um, and another thing that you kind of notice with the story is it follows that premise of like, oh, you know, uh, legend is about this old place. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Why do these teenagers continually set themselves up to go to these places that have these awful story, uh, you know, <laughs> histories about them, whether they're real or not? It's like if you hear somebody dies in a house, don't go there because <laughs> even if you don't believe in ghosts, I've seen enough horror movies to know where that's just a hit and a half for your ass if you go into this house. Right. <laughs> On the off chance that ghosts are real, you know. Um, and just these unbelievable characters, as you said, like, you know, I could buy Stooge as this meathead, and I could, could kind of buy Angela as this, this kind of goth loner who's just in it to get a rise out of people. I could kind of buy that, but pretty much every other character is just absolutely unbelievable yeah. as they are. Um, <laughs> At the beginning, there, um, 
we've got our, 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 our kind of main character girl, the, the innocent, pure one. Uh, she's getting changed in her room, and she's wearing this see kind of see-through bra. It's very sheer. It's got, like, lace over it. I mean, it's not like a cupless bra or anything, but mm-hmm. you can see through it. And she opens the closet, and yeah. her creepy little brother pops out and says, Oh, nice boobage, sis. Bodacious boobies. Right. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell's wrong with this kid? Why is he not seeing a shrink? I mean, he's got incestuous tendencies here, so why is nobody talking about that? Um, and it seemed like it was kind of a... A normal happening in that house too. She didn't yeah. seem to react to it the way that you know. She didn't cover herself or anything, right? Um, she, yeah, she just kind of responded like she wasn't standing there in her bra, <laughs> and he didn't just make a comment about her boobs. <laughs> um, so, and you know, also speaking about that, you know this this movie. Is kind of classic in really ultra low budget horror movies in the gratuitous nudity. Um, I mean, you've got she, uh, this main character, she's talking on her phone to her boyfriend, and as she's doing that, you got a shot of her in the mirror, and she pulls off her panties, and she's got this really long sweater on, and she pulls off her panties, and then for absolutely no reason whatsoever, she lifts it up so you can see her ass in the mirror. It's like it's almost like uh, uh, Kevinus Tenney, the director. It's like he was sitting behind the camera and just said, "Okay, now lift up the sweater so we can see your ass." Make I, sure I you bet that's exactly shot. what he did. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and then you know, as I said before, it's got Linnea Quigley, and how could you not? Her ass gets me? naked again. Yeah. Yeah. How can you not expect that from her? You know. Um, and she does weird things with lipstick. Yeah. That's all I'm about to say. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about that because that haunts me to this day. <laughs> um, it, it really changed my views on the female anatomy. <laughs> and it, not talking about what you people might be thinking about. Just check it out for yourself. <laughs> um, but, so... You just kind of expect that from her. I mean, she pulls her top open for no reason. Yeah, you know, why not? Yeah, and at one point she's about to have sex with this guy, and she pulls off her panties and then lifts up her skirt. and That's kind of like an old can-can dancer. Yeah, it's almost like, hey, take a look at this. (laughs) Get a good look. You're about to get this. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Like what you see? Yeah. Um, and it, when the, when they're first doing this uh, seance and they inadvertently release this demon, it seems like it's locked up. And it, like I said, this takes place in a mortuary. It's, it seems like it's kind of resting or locked up. In the crematorium, like actually in the oven, and it's, I just don't get that. It's like if it's this non-corporeal demon, why is it just chilling in an <laughs> oven? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't realize that, but 
Yeah, now that you say that. Um, yeah, and if it's just in the oven, then can it just come out anytime someone opens the oven? Or does yeah. it have to be summoned through a seance? Yeah, that's just... It's like one of those things they kind of add into the story but don't have any explanation for it. Yeah. It's like... You, you, you don't really understand why they put it in the story. Yeah, it's like, you know what kind of movie you're making. Simplify the story. We don't need all this yeah. ins and outs. Just streamline it. Um, and this demon, it looks like Uncle Deadly from The Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just got these big ears... Uh, this long snout and oh my god, it's so does yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know the the the, the timing like is when when those characters were introduced. Like I don't I can't remember exactly when Uncle Deadly was introduced. But in the event that Uncle Deadly came first, this guy had or these this prop developer had to know what he was doing. It's like and what he had to have looked at it at some point. And say, this looks looks a little familiar. <laughs> or maybe he just saw Uncle Deadly and was like, yes! That's the guy. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, did you notice they they kind of did the Evil Dead demon cam? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a little less effective. Yeah. Well, it was a much smaller area to cover. It's true. Um but yeah, it did kind of wind itself throughout the house, which was a little cool. Um, but definitely didn't have a kind of prominence as it did in Evil Dead, just because I think it was not necessarily an after afterthought, but it it didn't kind of capture that demon character like it did in Evil Dead. Yeah. So, um, and our main character Judy, who's this kind of innocent, pure virginal type girl she plays the damsel in distress character like until the very end uh she plays this just helpless girl and it's just really over the top like she seems like she's absolutely helpless and just needs some big strong man to come rescue her, you know? Yeah, like the scene where she's hanging from the roof, Mm -hmm. and the guy tells her, you have to move over and I'll catch you. Yeah. And she's like, I can't! It's like, alright, well, fucking die then. Yeah, I'm leaving. (laughs) Whether you're coming with me or not, that's up to you. (laughs) Um, And, you know, one thing, this movie is about somewhere between an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes. So typical movie length. You don't first start seeing these possessions take hold and you know these these demon creatures until like two thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah, it's at least at least forty five minutes in. Yeah, I, I mean I actually paused the movie to see how far it in was and like how much it had left. It was two thirds through the movie. Like the movie was almost over. I mean it had. I think, I think it said f- somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes left in the movie before we first see Angela, who seems like she's like kind of the ringleader of the possessed, before you even see her kind of like 
change face and become this demon creature, you know? Which is weird, because she's not the first one possessed. Right. That, that was another confusing thing. It's like, why does she... The, the ringleader when it was actually Linnea Quigley that was possessed first. Yeah. I just don't get it. Um, and there's, there's another point in the movie where it, I think it's just after Angela gets possessed and she does this little dance interlude <laughs> thing which for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just <laughs> unnecessarily long dance. It seems so out of place. It didn't contribute to the story at all. Uh, and even if that was seen as like an absolute must, like to have in the film, you, you could have cut it in half or in, in quarters yeah. as far as length because it's like, okay, I'm sitting here watching this girl dance for five minutes. Uh, Ten minutes, however the fuck long it was, it's like I'm losing interest. I mean, you're, you're you guys are just barely holding on <laughs> right now as it is, and my interest in this movie is fading away. Yeah. Um. So, a couple good things I can say about this movie is the makeup. I thought was incredible. Yeah, for 1988, it was very good. Yeah, especially having such a low budget. I mean, I don't even know if I consider this movie a B movie. <laughs> it's like a C or D movie. Um, but considering that it did have such, I'm going to assume, small budget, um, it uh, did have incredible makeup and good sets. Yeah, the sets were good. They were very well done. I mean, I, I, I bought... Their, I don't... Was it... On location, or do you know? I, I don't know. Um, it seems a little impractical for them to kind of renovate a whole house rather than just make separate sets, but um, I, I really bought that they were kind of in this, this busted-down old mortuary. Yeah, um, it certainly looked very decrepit and... Like a, like an old mansion on, or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and it, it didn't look like it was something that they had made to look like it was old. It, yeah. It looked like... Like, like it was old. Yeah, like this place hadn't been unsettled for, you know, several decades. Um, and as I was saying about the makeup, uh, this, this demon makeup... Uh, like I said, when I was a kid, it scared the absolute hell out of me. Um, I'd never seen anything so terrifying. And I think at that point, I had seen several zombie movies. I had seen, um, American Werewolf in London. Um, and I'm sure several vampire movies. Or fr- a Fright Night. But this, uh, this was the one that gotcha. This <laughs> scared the piss out of me. Um, the the budget on Night of the Demons was one point two million. Really? Yeah, that's a lot of money for the eighties. I would not have expected that. So I guess they may have just put all that money into effects and makeup, and not so much in the acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went cheap. Yeah, um, and you know the story is a little too convenient. I think, um, basically, this underwater stream that runs around the building somehow uh, 
is this ancient barrier that these evil creatures can't cross. Right. So that's kind of the goal through the entire movie is to get back over the stream so they can't follow you. And as you said before, it kind of plays to the thin veil on Halloween. That's why they are out, um, and they can only do it that night. Like, by sunrise, their time's up, and they go back into, you know, hell or whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Um, But it's they incorporate the concepts of it being like, oh, there was an ancient Indian that settled on this land, and um, he ended up killing his family, and, uh, you know, this land's been possessed, you know, that far back, and just these ancient Indian legends, and uh, the former owner of this mortuary uh, went crazy, and, like, was... I believe they alluded to him having sex with the bodies. Yeah. So, um, and then at the end, you know, we've got our final characters that managed to escape. I'll spoil that much for you. Someone does escape. It just so happens they managed to get over this wall, and then 20 seconds later, the sun comes up. So they do both things they needed to do at the exact same time. Yeah. So it's like at one point they said, oh, well, we just have to wait out the sun. I mean, we just have to wait till sunrise and we can walk out of here. Uh, obviously, that wasn't an option for them realistically. Um, so they continue to have to run away from these possessed creatures Um but then, yeah, they managed to get up over the wall, and then the sun comes up. It's just like, wow, that's a poorly timed sunrise. Yeah, that could have helped us out twenty minutes <laughs> ago, thirty seconds ago. That yeah. could have helped. Um, so <laughs> then, at the very end, there's this crotchety old bastard who just hates kids, and he tries to. They never actually show him do it, but he. They show him with apples and razor blades. Yeah, they allude to him tainting the, the apples. Right. And, it, you know, the next morning he is shown eating some kind of apple turnover, apple pie or something that his wife made. He says, oh, where'd you get the apples? She's like, oh, the ones you bought last night. And then he, his throat rips open with razor razor blades and... He keels over. It's like, and then his wife walks up and says, you know, "Happy Halloween, dear." <laughs> it's like, do, do you know he's dead? Are you? What was the point of that scene? Who the fuck knows. What's the point of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> um. So, this movie, it, it's just one of those things where you watch it when you're a kid. And if you even have the slightest hint that it might not be as good again, just don't watch it. <laughs> and surprisingly, it spawned not one, but two sequels and, and a remake. remake. I, you know, and I had such high hopes for the remake, but it really wasn't any better. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I think until you and I watched this, you hadn't seen it before. No, I hadn't. But you had seen the remake. Right. And even still, you agree that the remake is no better. No. (laughs) 
Um, like I said before, you know, the remake had some pretty well-known actors. Not Shannon Elizabeth, Monica Keena, Edward Furlong. And I believe Diora Baird was in there. Okay. Linnea Quigley is actually in it. She too. is. Um, she's actually wearing <laughs> the same costume. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously much older. And I don't think it, her costume's quite as slutty as it was, but... I don't think she lifts up her skirt and no. flashes badge either. Right, right, right. So, I, I guess all that was left to do was <laughs> to, uh, give a verdict on this. What do you say? Uh, one through ten. Two. Two? Want to elaborate on that at all? Or? Nope. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I want to give it probably a two, I'd say. But just because I have ties to it from my childhood, I remember it scaring the hell out of me, and I know it still has it in it to scare little kids, which seems cruel. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that was the intent. Well, sure, but I mean, there's got to be room for people like me in the world, (laughs) and there's got to be something to set them on that path. I mean... I wouldn't be here today doing this podcast if it weren't for movies like this. Fair enough. So, just because of that, and I call it nostalgia, but I think I have to be fair and give it a four. All right. What if you had the power? The other kids think I'm weird. If I concentrate, I can make things move. To change everything. Carrie? No! Promise next week, maybe you want to go with me. Your king and queen are. You couldn't control it. They can laugh at you, Carrie. Well, like I said earlier, we have a bonus movie we're going to talk about, and it's not a Halloween movie, but it's a new movie. Just came out. We went and saw the remake of Carrie. Yeah, went out and saw it on opening night. Um, we were real excited about it, and I don't know why. (laughs) I'm at a loss. Uh, the, the original, as corny as it was, it was brilliant. Um, wait, let's, let's go back and run through the history here. It started out as a book by Stephen King. Right. Then it was a movie... With Sissy Spacek as Carrie, and then there was a sequel, um, which was not really tied to the original. Well, it, it was actually. Um, it, she's, we're talking about uh, the rage. The rage, yeah. Um, in that movie, the main character was actually Carrie's half sister. You find out that telekinesis came from her father's side, and. This girl has the same father as Carrie. Okay. So. And then now, this is the remake. Uh, there was actually also a TV remake, which wasn't half bad, but this ending just fucked it so bad. Didn't have the same ending? <laughs> no. I think, actually, what I had read, because Carrie survives in this, uh, the, the, the TV movie. Uh, Carrie survives, and... I read that actually what that was supposed to do was spawn a TV series. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, that movie kind of 
tanked, and I think it was probably due in part to that ending. Um, just tanked, so I think that series just got scrapped. But well, for <laughs> those of you who haven't seen any of those, uh, the movie's about a girl, 16, 17, high school senior, mm-hmm. who has telekinetic powers, and she's you know just now discovering them, and she's she's a very awkward girl, and not very popular at school, and. Since it's a remake, can we spoil things? I suppose. Alright. Uh, she gets invited to prom, and they, some kids decide they want to play a prank on her, so they cover her in blood, which is, you know, the iconic image of Carrie. When you mm-hmm. think Carrie, you think of her covered in pig's blood. And Carrie comes back, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, she just goes batshit crazy, and Kills lots of people. Yep. Um, this one seemed like it was a lot more um, conservative with the body count. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of gore. Not a lot, no. Like, when she actually was killing people, they didn't really show a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, there was um, the two kids in the car. Other than that, I don't really know of any... Very gory scenes. Well, there there were gory elements, like during the the, um, the actual prom scene. Um, there were elements of it that were gory, but they didn't last long. They were over in a flash. I mean, you barely notice them. But yeah, not a lot of gore. Um, like you would think, with the way they did it, they could have shown you know heads getting cut off or. Mm-hmm. You know, kids getting electrocuted, they could have shown their skin melting or something. Yeah, and, you know, when we got out of the movie, I, I asked you, I mean, was this a PG-13 movie? And you said, no, it's an R movie. I'm just thinking, well, what the fuck were they pulling punches for? Yeah. I mean, it, it seemed like they were trying to uh, keep the body count down, keep the violence low, to... Keep it at a PG thirteen rating. I mean, right. like, my girlfriend kept saying, "I don't think this is a horror movie for horror fans." Right. And me and you were both saying it should be. Yeah, that. I mean, Stephen King is called the King of Horror. Right. I mean, he doesn't write bullshit teen movies for. for and the, the fact that that she felt that way watching it is shows a big flaw in it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not supposed to design. You're not supposed to remake a classic horror movie or a classic horror story at all. You're not supposed to make it for the MTV generation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can understand trying to bring it to a younger crowd. I just uh, don't... Like, I don't want to use the term family-friendly, but... Yeah, don't neuter a story to try and commercialize it. Exactly. Um, and you know, it's like, similarities, I mean, this movie was, believe it or not, it was actually very close to the original. Yeah. A lot of the same scenes, a lot of the same even lines, uh, from the characters. Um, I mean, right off the bat, you kind of notice a similarity between this and the original, where they're running the open credits, and... 
there is this slow, like almost slow motion opening with the characters walking around. It's very bright and washed out, just like the original Carrie. Um, and they play um, volleyball. It's water volleyball, but in the original they were playing volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you've also got the the infamous shower scene, of course, um, which was I was actually reading that was the first scene in the book that Stephen King wrote. Really? Yeah. Um, getting a little off topic here, but Stephen King, um, he was I believe it was his his wife asked him why he never wrote female characters. Like main characters. He says, I don't know anything about females. Or like, I don't know how to write a female character. And she was like, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then it turned into a 50s sitcom. Um, But no. You know, I mean, she basically said, I don't believe you. Give it a shot. I mean, I, I dare you to try it. So he did. He wrote that scene. The shower scene. Um... And he thought it was garbage, threw it away. And then his wife actually physically went out, went in, pulled it out of the garbage and said, finish the story. And that's how Carrie came about. Hmm. Way to go, Mrs. King. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't have one of the best horror movies in our, in our time if it weren't for her, you know? Well, one of the best horror books. Yeah. I mean, uh, say nothing else. Um, so, I mean, you've got these... Back to the movie, you've got this infamous shower scene, which, um, you know, I think this kind of established kind of the the shower room, locker room fantasy for teenage boys, you know? <laughs> I think when you first see this, it's like, oh, so that's what goes on. <laughs> Just girls walking around naked all the time. All the time. Yeah. Just taking showers, being playful. You know, know, I've had it revealed to me several times over. That's not actually what happens, but I just... Shenanigans. You know. um, But, so... I I heard they don't have lingerie pillow fights either. Bite your tongue. (laughs) You shut your... Puppycock! (laughs) You shut your mouth! Ah, uh, so, this scene alone, I mean, obviously, you can't have this movie without this scene. It kind of sets the premise almost. I mean, the kind of story originates from this scene. Yeah, it's very pivotal. Yeah, it, 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 it kind of sets what, what sets things in motion. Um, in that, this is where Carrie, she first kind of, whether she knows it or not, she kind of uses her powers mm-hmm. for the first time. And it almost makes me wonder if that, you know, obviously she has her first period in a shower, which was revealed to me by my fiancé that that doesn't happen. <laughs> which I don't understand, but... Something about the heat shutting it off. It's not a physics podcast. Okay. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> um... Physics? It's not physics. physics. What the fuck am I talking about? I'm, who the fuck knows what you're talking about? 
Anyway, so she has her period in the shower, and you almost wonder if that was like the switch that turned her powers on. You know, like maybe yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, like becoming a woman, yeah, could be what makes the powers right. And you know, the uh, the the gym coach, Miss um, Desjardins. Uh, who's played by Judy Greer, who you guys might recognize from um, Arrested Development. Kitty Sanchez. And there was some other show that your girlfriend was saying she's from. I, I don't know. She's just Kitty Sanchez to me. She's Kitty Sanchez. Or um, uh, Kathy? No, not Kathy. From Archer. Oh, yeah. I forgot that she did a voice on that. Karen? Sharon? Whatever. Moving on. Uh, the receptionist. Yeah. She covered, or she plays the gym coach, and, you know, obviously that, that, uh, character was always kind of on Carrie's side, you know. She was always kind of like the, uh, the, the lighthouse, uh, in the sea, you know. Port in a storm. There you go. Don't depend on me to turn a phrase. Um, so she's kind of there for Carrie, and she kind of she she stops her getting bullied in the shower. Right. All the girls are throwing feminine products at her, mm-hmm. um, and like she like you said, she can, has Carrie's back, and you know takes takes the incident to the principal. Yeah, gets she, the girls responsible and. Uh, Gets them in trouble. Yeah, she kind of has that motherly role that she doesn't actually get from her own mother. Right. Um, who was actually played by Julianne Moore, who, she's a great actress. She really is. Uh, I don't, I can't think of anything where she just wasn't spectacular. I mean, she, it's funny watching, when I watched her on 30 Rock, uh, after a while, I forgot she didn't actually have a Boston accent. Because <laughs> yeah. she just did it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she plays she plays everything so well. I mean, like, even something, like, dramatic and, like, um, you know, first thing that comes to mind is uh, Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. She plays kind of like a, a porn star kind of in, like, her later days um and she's kind of staying in the biz and she kind of becomes that porn star that's almost willing to do anything just to keep her career going dvda right (laughs) but just very dramatic role especially later in the movie when you know she starts getting wrapped up in drugs and things like that so she's very dynamic Mm. um and so that Plays very well in this movie because she she plays Carrie's mother, who was originally played by Piper Laurie in the original, and Piper Laurie played the character just as a complete nut, just unhinged. Yeah, like has no real basis of reality. Um, kind of lives in her own world of just um, hellfire and brimstone, um, and just is just blown away by the fact that other people don't see that around them. Just this evil world. Um, 
Julianne Moore, she plays the character a little different in that she is more embittered. Piper Lorgi's character is much more emphatic. Yes. Much more of a religious nut, I think. I mean, not to say that Julianne Moore doesn't play a religious nut. She just plays a much more subdued. Yeah. Um, probably a little more, or a little less Jonestown, a little more Manson family. There you go. <laughs> um, just kind of has more of a, a grip on reality, I guess. Um, would be probably the easiest way to put it. Um, but still, it's just, she, she plays an absolute nut. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a more, uh, just dangerous way, I guess. You know, Piper Laurie, she plays, like you said, unhinged, where she's kind of, um, maybe just a little unpredictable. Yeah. But she's just, she's just a nut job. Julianne Moore, she seems like the type that could actually be physically violent, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, she's always cutting herself and scratching herself. And yeah, she is a bit of a, uh, was it masochist? Yeah. Or is it sadist? Masochist. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it has that in common. I mean, like I said, I couldn't think. But, like, I like to compare, you know, the famous, they're all going to laugh at you line. Right. Um, Piper Laurie screamed it, mm-hmm. you know. And Julianne Moore just kind of grabs her by the face and just says, they're all going to laugh at you. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, if it, the comparison of the two, I think, is best best explained by that one scene. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I think that's the line from the mother that everyone knows. Right. Like, maybe even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what it's from. But, yeah, I think that difference just in that line, like you said, it kind of draws the, um, a separation between the two versions. It, it narrows the difference down. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of personified in that one moment. Right. So, yeah, I basically just classify it as a, a different kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know... In this movie, Carrie is played by Carrie, uh, sorry, um, Chloe. Chloe Gross. Yeah, not gross. Chloe Grace Moritz. Not gross. That's not the gross. problem. Right. Uh, she's Carrie, too cute. She's too cute. In this movie, she's too attractive, I guess. And I think even just a little too sympathetic. Just because she's cute. Yeah, like, She's 17. She's a high school senior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's awkward, but some 17-year-old boy is going to want to throw it to her. Yeah, in a few years, I'd want to throw it in her, too. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, she's a cute girl, which plays directly opposite to... Sissy Spacek. Or even just the character in the book. Well, right. Carrie in the book was actually supposed to be overweight and not particularly attractive. She's supposed to be just kind of like a standard. Which makes so much more sense. Yeah. That fits the story so right. well. 
Yeah, I mean, Sissy Spacek, not particularly attractive, but she's real thin. Yeah. She's got nothing to worry about in the body, or like, you know, the the image department, I guess. Um, Other than being too thin. Right, right, right. Um, and so, I guess just because Chloe Grace Moritz, she has that just kind of normal girl look to her. Yeah. Like, they did a very good job of, you know, like, making her look pale, and her hair was stringy and dirty. And right. She she did a good job of playing awkward, mm-hmm. but she's still good-looking. Right. Um, and... Which, is like, I, I love her as an actress. I think she's a great actress, especially mm-hmm. for her age. Yeah, and, and, you know, not to take anything away from her performance. Yeah, and for those of you who doesn't... You don't know who she is. You might recognize her from uh, the movie, the Kick-Ass movies. She played Hit Girl, Hit Girl, yeah. Um, which I thought she did a great job in those too. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like you never really buy a, a 13-year-old badass, you know. <laughs> but she played it perfectly. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, she's she's like you said, she's a great actress, especially for her age, and I, I really like seeing her in movies because of her age, I guess. Uh, I, just, I like to see a young actress making those steps, you know, especially in a movie like this where it's got so much... It's always nice to see a 17-year-old playing a 17-year-old, too. That, too, definitely. Like, the girl who played Chris in this movie is 25. Right. Yeah, and, like, I, I don't think any of the other characters... We're that age. Yeah. Uh, so, and you know, I was a little taken aback when they first announced the casting because I initially, initially thought she's all wrong for that. I mean, she's too young, which obviously the character of Carrie was 17, 18, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Um, um, but... F- I just had it in my mind that she was just too young. I guess maybe because I had her in my head as Hit Girl from the original, or from the first Kick-Ass, where she's just a little 13, girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess not really taking into account that she's grown up a bit. It's like I always forget how much teenagers grow in yeah. those years. So, I mean, she appears to be a completely different person just in, what, four years? Um but just basing on the character in the book and even Sissy Spacek, she's just all wrong for this. And um, she, like like I said, she's a little too sympathetic. I think Sissy Spacek, she played the character in, she, she like had no personality of her own. Uh, she was entirely ruled by a mother. Uh, scared to death of her and had no concept of the larger world, I guess. In this, uh, Chloe, I'm just going to say time to say Chloe Moritz, um, she seemed to be a little more in the know, I guess, for, for lack of a better way to describe it. She just seemed more attuned to her generation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was an interesting part where she's she's 
first figuring out her powers and realizing what she can do. So she's researching telekinesis. And in the original movie, she actually goes to the library, um, reads a bunch of books about telekinesis. Um, and in this, just showing the modern age, she's at the library using a computer, watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, and so it, it shows her you trying to use a computer, and she's clueless. She doesn't know how to use a computer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she looks like she has kind of a basic understanding of it, but, um, I mean, she does that hunt and peck, and mm-hmm. um, she actually has to be shown that she can make a YouTube video full screen. So, um, but all in all, she seems a little more independent. She doesn't seem like she's entirely reliant on her mother, like Sissy Spacek, Sissy Spacek did. Yeah. Um, and so I thought the the script overall was fairly bad. Yeah, a lot of parts, a lot of the, the dialogue was way over the top. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a random tuxedo montage. Yeah. <laughs> There's these random teen movie moments that just completely break down the flow of the movie. And, yeah. Uh, I know there's a point where, um, where Tommy is walking down the hallway in slow motion, you know, high five the teacher. And, yeah. Uh, you know, patting people on the back, pointing at people. You know, he's just, he's the cool guy, the popular guy in high school. Right. You know, um, and then, like you said, there's a point where they're all trying on tuxes. <laughs> it looks like a fucking music video or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's just this weird montage of the girls trying on dresses and the guys trying on tuxes. And, you know, they're all laughing and putting on different coats. And it's like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, goofing around with top hats and stuff. Yeah. It's like, we're just having fun. And, yeah... Uh, same boat as you. It's just like, I lost touch with what, what movie I was watching. Yeah, it just, it seemed so out of place for that style of movie. Yeah, and I think that again is like I'm saying, was saying trying to market the movie to the MTV generation. Yeah. Or actually, you know, I think we are more the MTV generation, or maybe even our parents. This generation is the Jersey Shore generation. Oh God. Yeah. Heaven help us. Right. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, some might consider the same thing since that god awful show was on MTV, but it, it lost me. I, I, I've been to the Jersey Shore. I've <laughs> driven past the house. And honestly, I've never seen people, I've seen people similar to mm-hmm. that, but never to that extreme, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder how real the show was, but. Right. That's. A tangent for another day. <laughs> um, and, you know, another thing that I think, something I actually saw complain about in a few other places was that Carrie's powers came on too quickly and that something I actually noticed myself was that she seemed to have a like a, like a firm grip, grip on him by the end of the movie, like full control over it, mm-hmm. as opposed to the original where it almost seemed like a reflex. Yeah. I mean, in this movie, or sorry, in the original, it was purely almost like an animal instinct, where 
Like, for instance, at the prom. It just kind of took over. Yeah, like her eyes just wide open, her hands stiff at her side with her hands sprawled open, and, like, she's just looking around the room, and things are happening, It's and it almost seems like she has no control over it. Right. It's one of those things where, like, like if it happened to a normal person, you'd be like, oh, I wish that guy was dead. But when she does it, something happens and he dies. Yeah. You know, something flies out at him and stabs him or whatever. But it's, 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 it's like, a, like I said, it's like she wishes something and then something makes that happen. Mm-hmm. As opposed to this new one where she seems like she has total control over it. I mean, there's a certain point where she's got the doors locked. And so people are like, oh, let's run up the bleachers to get out the windows. Cause, you know, they have those accordion bleachers where they, they pull them pull, out. Pull out, yeah. And people are running up those bleachers and she consciously closes them. Yeah, snaps the guy in half. Right. Um, well, like you were saying, in the original, Sissy Spacek just stands there with her elbows locked and her hands at her side. Mm-hmm. But in this one, she waves her arms around like she's leading an orchestra. Yeah. It's like, I told you it reminded me of Fantasia with Mickey, you know, <laughs> making the mops dance. Yeah. I expected the 1412 Overture to come in. Yeah, so, I mean, that, I mean, I guess you could still consider that, like, telekinesis, but I really liked it more when I said, it, like, it almost seemed like a reflex, and she was doing it purely with her mind. She wasn't, like, guiding it with her hands. Yeah. Um, as opposed to somewhere where you might think she was doing magic or something. Yeah. And actually, heard that, I uh, heard the comparison, John, before. Uh, I believe it was uh, our dear Elvira <laughs> posted on her Twitter that she was hearing a lot of um, Carrie was more like she was a witch rather than uh, telekinetic. Telekinetic, yeah. Uh, just guiding it around with her hands. It's, it's like, it's, I, I don't stand. It reminded me of Jean Grey. Yeah. From X Men. Exactly. Where she's telekinetic, but she's, I don't know, she's a superhero. So yeah. <laughs> or like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. With the Force. You kind of expect different things from different characters. And, character like Carrie just like I said you expect it to almost seem like it's an involuntary reflex yeah um, so but beyond that I, I I do have to say it sticks pretty close to at least the original movie um, as far as how the the story follows um, one thing that they did change where they they drew from the book rather than the original movie was that the character Sue, who was actually the one girl who tried to be nice to Carrie. She sent Carrie to the prom, or sent her boyfriend to the prom with Carrie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Tommy. Because she, she was involved originally in the, the shower incident. Yes. But she felt so bad. Yeah, she was kind of repentant. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a scene where... Um, it was actually a pretty simple 
in the original movie, but, but in this remake, there's actually a scene where they're actually running suicides out on the field, and uh, Chris, the, the character, Chris, she basically just throws her hands up and says, you know, I'm not doing this anymore, who's with me? And, and Sue just says, you know, go do your thing. I feel bad for what I did, and I want to go to my prom. So she uh, she kind of splits off from Chris in that aspect. Um, but anyway, sorry, back to what I was saying. Something they drew from the book rather than the original movie was that Sue was pregnant with Tommy's kid. Um, and that's actually not directly from the book. Um I believe she suspected that she might be pregnant um, rather than sure that she was. Well, no, I guess she wasn't actually sure. Something apparently not only is um, Carrie uh, telekinetic, she's also telepathic apparently because she could instantly tell that Sue was pregnant. Or something. Yeah, I don't know exactly how she knew. Yeah, she she knew that Sue's child, unborn child, who was a developing fetus, uh, was a girl. Somehow, yeah. So I mean, just little things like that. I just I don't understand why they felt the need to change these things. I remember in the theater when that scene came on. I saw you out of the corner of my eye, just shrugging. Yeah. I think I did that a few times. It's like, the hell? Where the hell is this story going? I mean, um, so I guess all in all, I can't say that it steered too far away from the source material, um, as a lot of remakes do. But just those little changes just really took away from They were changes not for the better. Yeah, it, it just kind of drew the life force out of the movie, kind of eliminated the point of it. I mean, I mean, this was this was directed by uh, Kimberly Pierce, um, and I don't have a particularly particular problem with female directors, but it's been my experience that they just really can't do horror justice. Yeah. Um, Especially a movie like this, because you know she's going to want to be so sympathetic to Carrie. Yes, definitely. And there's also a point where you, I mean, there's, even in the original, you get like this feeling that you're being kind of sent a message about bullying. Yeah. This one was loud and clear. Yeah. I mean, there's like a public service announcement, basically, um, which. I have a hard time saying that I have a problem with it, but there's a time and place. Uh, and I'm sorry, the movie Carrie is just not the time or place. And I think overall, something that was just missing from this was Brian De Palma's kind of artistic feel that he had in the original movie. I... I'm not really, when I watch movies, I don't really pay attention to camera angles and stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I know a lot of people can say, you know, even a bad movie that's shot beautifully can be a good movie. But to me, a, a bad movie is a bad movie, no matter how beautiful it, it looks. Sure. Um, so, you know, I can't really speak to how it was directed, but yeah. I, I, it, it could have been a little, I mean, it was, it was very polished, which isn't like terrible. I, I don't want every horror movie to be gritty, but I don't know. I feel like the, the look of it, just, it seemed too bright, maybe, like a little too, like a little too much, like it's geared towards teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a lot of that, I think, um, just down to, I mean, you have to keep it modern. You have no choice. You yeah. Can't, you can't take this movie, put it in the 70s, and expect kids today to watch it. Yeah. And then they have the original for that. Uh, so you gotta put it in this day and age. And so you have to reflect the fashions. Um, you have to reflect, uh, the technology. I mean, like the use of, uh, cell phones and YouTube, which, you know, when Chris, she, she records a video of Carrie mm-hmm. freaking out in the shower and posts it on YouTube. That's kind of initially what gets her suspended and banned from the prom. Yeah. Was her posting that video on YouTube. Um, so it's just those little nuances to reflect modern times. But, sure. I don't have a problem with that. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of, a lot of modern music. I mean, I heard songs that I recognized, I think, as far as a group. The only one I actually recognized was, uh, uh, Group Love. I recognized yeah. a song by them. Aside from that, songs that I had heard, but I, I couldn't tell you an artist. But just, I think, gearing it towards, like I said, the Jersey Shore age. The thing is, like, you don't know who to blame for that either. Like, mm-hmm. does that come from the script? Does that come from the director? Does that come from the editing? Yeah. More than likely, that, that comes out on high and is trickled down. Yeah, yeah. Um... Because studios fuck everything up. That's true. I mean, a, a lot of—I'm sure—a lot of pressure was coming from the studio to uh, include certain things. I mean, like product placement. I noticed that actually it was my fiance that noticed all—they were all using the same cell phone. It was a Windows phone. It was, I think. All, it was all Windows phone. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, she leaned over and she says, oh, "You notice they're all using the same phone." Thing is, if it was an iPhone, no one would have noticed. That's true. That's but true. Who, who uses a Windows phone? Right, <laughs> old people. <laughs> Carlos. Carlos. I hope he's listening. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I just I leaned back over and I said, um, "Windows must have been a sponsor or something." Yeah. Um, but but you know, the studio was telling them to give it more commercial appeal. Definitely. Uh, I mean, there, there. That's one of those things that you look at it and you're like, "That's clearly what happened." I mean, yeah, it's really no question about. Which it. is so silly for a remake because it's going to make money on recognition alone. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd, this it's 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 like show the scene of her getting blood dumped on her and put Carrie across the screen. Yeah, that's the preview. That's mm-hmm. all you need. People mm-hmm. will see it. 
Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like trying to sell uh, a greatest hits album of Elvis. You don't need to put Elvis Presley. You don't. You can just put Elvis. You don't even have to play a song. What? You don't even have to play a song. No, I just say Elvis's greatest hits. Here yeah. it is, fifty bucks. Yeah, it's like nobody's gonna say, "Oh, is he talking about Elvis Costello?" <laughs> like, no, because that's Elvis Costello. This is Elvis. Elvis. We know what this is. We know this product. Yeah. We don't need to jam it down people's throats. So there was just a lot of that going on in this movie, and a lot of different kinds of messages being forced. And I fucking hate that. Yeah. I don't want to come out of a movie smarter, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to watch the fucking movie, get my ten bucks worth and go home. Yeah. um, And then come home and tell you people about it. (laughs) Um, So rating, one to ten. Just because I'm such a fan of the original, and I saw this as just a slap in the face... To the the just the grittiness and the, the balance of grit and art in the original, um, I gotta give this a four. I the movie is not without its merit, sure, um, and I I feel like I actually want to rate it higher, but I'm thinking about the precedent I sent in last uh, last episode. With the Evil Dead remake, and there's no way that I can rank this on par with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say four. Principal Wilkins, do you think that we might be able to have your jack lantern, please? Not gonna smash it, are you? No, it's a scavenger hunt for UNICEF. <laughs> Anything for a good cause. Happy Halloween. Well, that's all we got. Yeah, I want to thank you guys a lot for sitting through this with us again. Uh, I know this was a long episode, um, but you know we're we're plugging away at it. I think we're getting a little better each time. Once again, uh, subscribe either on iTunes or via RSS. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Add us on Google Plus. And we are now on Stitcher Radio, if you want to listen to us there. And links to all of these are going to be on our website, graveplotpodcast.com. So, yeah, listen to us. Tell us what you think. Leave lots of comments. Leave us lots of love. Got to know what you guys are thinking. Um, and we'll be back with you again in a couple of weeks. We'll be back with the Halloween hangover. Yeah, we'll call it that. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, guys. Take care. Cheers.